0: Welcome to another Distinct Nostalgia by MIM. More than a podcast.
1: Brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. Staying well, staying home.
0: Now our celebration of great British sitcom continues on Distinct Nostalgia as we remember 70s hit The Good Life. It was one of the big comedy success stories for the BBC in the mid-70s and even had an audience with the Queen. It had a stellar cast, Paul Eddington, Richard Briars, Penelope Keith and, of course, Felicity Kendall. And Ashley's been speaking to Felicity both about the show and her acting roots and wider career. So put the kettle on and settle back for an hour in the company of one of the legends of British sitcom
2: have fun so felicity it's lovely um to talk to you for um uh distinct nostalgia on uh, what we were just saying is a bright day here in manchester and a bright day where you are as well which is which is quite nice we better savor this really because it'll be dark by three <laughs> no doubt no doubt um take us back to um your very early years we'll talk about the good life and things in a moment but you actually come from an acting family don't you
1: they had a theater company when I was a, a child in England to start with, and they literally had a repertory theater company that, that you know, played different dates, um, lived in digs, never had a home, but that was not what they were interested in remotely. The traditional roaming players who really literally lived on the road. And their life was the theater, um, and they were incredibly well-matched couple. Um, who worked together as um, uh, what you would call um, leading man and leading lady 150 years ago. Um, they met and fell in love and started their own company. And they then went um, out to India during the war with ENSA. My father was a conscientious objector, so I think the only way not to get thrown in jail was to, to join ENSA which they did, and they went to India and played the troops in India um, and fell in love with India. And When I was born after the war, as opposed to before, um, they took me as a little baby of nine months and continued their work, touring touring India, and eventually we toured all over the Far East, um, and they very rarely came back to work here. In fact, they didn't for 17 years. Um, because they um, had had, you know, a really terribly difficult time after the war. There was rationing. Um, there were, It was. Everybody was hard up. It was really a hard time. And they remembered the wonderful sunsets in India, and they decided that was going to be their life. So that was um, my childhood, and it was magical.
2: We'll talk about that in a moment. But you were born in Warwickshire, but both your parents are actually from the north, aren't they? They're born in the north of England.
1: My mother's from, from Scotland, my mother's people are from Scotland, and they, uh, my father's from the Lake District. But they um, lived in, in Warwickshire, um, and I was born in Oat Solihull, because that happened to be the family home, so my mother, who was always on tour and working, just went home to have me in one of the bedrooms, and um, then carried on working.
2: <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about that magical childhood. Then tell us the things you. What's your earliest memories of of, of all what was going on with the you know these two people who were very creative? Well, I
1: think I, I, it was an, a sort of magical time to be touring in India. Um, it was still the Rajas were still um, you know they were still partition had just happened I think and, and the Rajas were still in place and my parents had very good contact with the schools, the colleges, the clubs, and with also some of the the, the government and Nehru and, and a lot of the Rajas who they'd played to um, during the war with ENSA, so they knew. And they went from uh, incredibly luxurious palaces where we were put up and we played for pitt- a pittance, but we were put up in these palaces. And um, then the next touring date would be a little contunement somewhere in the middle of South India and we would literally be playing on tables tied together with string or on the floorboards of a classroom and it was a childhood that had absolutely no security financially whatsoever and certainly no what what you would call now even slight wealth, I mean we were always on practically the breadline but because we were, as you know, we were looked after everywhere we went, not everywhere, but most places, and they put us up in these incredible colleges or schools, and sometimes my dad would get very, very good deals with extraordinarily wonderful hotels. Um, and then the next week we would literally be on a train with a bedroll and eating sandwiches. And we lived... In a way why I say it was magical, we didn't live as it was a lot of the Europeans out there with one job secure in one place um, and only mingling with one kind of the society i mean we we went from from the teachers, from the missionaries, from the 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 colleges to public shows, and as I say to these extraordinary luxurious palaces so it it, it was I think a really good grounding. Um, i would sort of worn off now because I, I now I, I, I sort of have lost the some of the ability to really believe that things don't matter. But that was the mantra of my father had, and um, which was, you know, the work you do and Shakespeare uh, is more important than owning a house and being secure and having a. Um, the last thing he wanted was a mortgage, and the the the, the extreme. Sort of torture to him would have had would have been to have a pension.
2: (laughs) Now I gather while you were there, I I don't know if this is true, and I've read that you uh, you caught typhoid while you were uh, in Calcutta. Oh, we
1: had I had typhoid. It was typhoid. We had um, measles. We had all sorts of things. I mean, it just was part of being in India. I, I, I very rarely got an upset tummy because it was just part of. I just lived there, and that was how you know I, I ate everything. So I, we never suffered from that kind of, of, of feeble <laughs> feebleness that tourists tourists do now. But, the, the, yes, there were epidemics of all sorts of things and chickenpox and typhoid and measles and goodness knows what. And we would go down with them and then, and then it, would, it, would, it would continue. But there were several epidemics, in fact, when I was quite young that really, literally, um, certain places in India were, were shut down and we had no work for months and we were literally... Um, on the red line. So I, I, I was only little, but I do remember that as being a harrowing time when you couldn't. My parents couldn't go out to work because basically the, the, there were no schools open and there were no theatres open. Um, but you know, I, I, as a child, you take that in your stride. You get a fever, you go to bed, and you get up again. But I do remember that.
2: So prepared you for now, then, really, in the coronavirus and all the theatres not being around and. All the rest of it, you know. So you know, you've been through it before. I think
1: it's history, isn't it? I mean, the you know, Shakespeare had the plague four times, I think, in 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 one year or something. They closed the theatres, and he had to then you know retreat, and he wrote a lot of plays during it. Um, And I think you know. I think one of the things about actors, and it's, it's, it is only my opinion, but one of the reasons we go into this business is because it does not it is not like any other. And it attracts a kind of, I think sometimes, a really wonderfully childlike, innocent group of people who go in for the work um, and not for the achievement and not for the security. Um, and I think that, that sort of gypsy quality will survive through any epidemic and pandemic. And maybe we will learn, you know, that a show with four people and no set is still a show just as valid as a great big spectacular with thousands of people. So we just have to, you know, be brave as in fact every community is and, and everybody is hit by it. It's not, it's not singling out some people. I mean, there are, of course, some some really lucky um, businesses that happen to thrive regardless of the the pandemic and and that 's good, but there are, most people are suffering in some way or another, and I think the young the young actors and the young directors who were just starting out a year ago or just peaking it's it's heartbreaking that they will lose two years, but you know life is not fair; we just have to you know say, okay, we will." come back I don't think the theatre will ever die um, because it's a basic I mean I may be wrong but I think it's a basic need for a healthy happy um, society that can laugh at itself that you have storytellers and you have music and you have painting and you have art and you have dancing and I think it is regardless of of caste, creed or language, it is the most amazingly binding thing when a group of people come together for what and, and quietly watch or partake in the same thing.
2: Yeah, and I absolutely agree with you about actors. I mean, that's the one thing that I've really enjoyed in my um, career is the whole period of time that I've worked with actors and I started out as a journalist and now I'm a, you know, a, a, a producer, um, and creator of programs of different, all different kinds. And I find actors are fantastic because they, they're, you know, they're, they're so adaptable. Um, you know, yeah, I, I admire actors. Fantastic. They, you're great survivors, they're great survivors. You can surviving in any, any situation, you actors. <laughs> um, so, oh. <laughs> so take us back to, um, that period then when you're out in india and you were seeing your parents doing all this all this uh, all this work but in lots of different places and you know chaotic in many ways D- were you bitten though by the acting bug straight away i mean what did you decide yeah that's what you want to do you want to follow in in their footsteps
1: absolutely not i um i was put to work in the nicest possible way because that was what the family, it was a family business so if you were a butcher you'd learn to suffer sausage I guess and if you were you know, a, a seamstress you'd learn to thread a needle um, and I was taught to be a stage manager at the age of 12 and 13 I was doing the props and then the lighting and then fit up some things and helping with the, the continuous moving and travelling and fitting up a show in a theatre or in a hall, and I went to several well probably twelve or thirteen convents, and then there came time when I was really needed you know on deck and uh, my my father had the idea a um, conviction that actually to play Shakespeare, learn Shakespeare, be part of a theatrical touring company was the best and be in India and travel is the best education, and that that was probably worth leaving school early. And so I was put to work at about thirteen and I think my I used to play Page Boys and Fleonson and um Balthazar and, and 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 eventually Puck and um eventually they became, you know, part of the of the company. And that was I was given a, a, a little book with a salary, and if he was hard up, I didn't get it. Um, and sometimes he'd ask for it back because we had no money. But it it didn't occur to me that I really wanted necessarily to be an actor. It was just the work I was doing with the family. And it was only much later, well, much later, i say by 17 or 18, when I came to England, that I... Well, 17, I guess, when I made a film and then I came to England. And I thought, yes, this is definitely where, what I want to do. But bearing in mind, I had absolutely no skills of any other kind. So I wasn't qualified for anything else. So if I hadn't been passionate about acting, I probably would have had to go start from scratch and get an education for a career. But I... Arrived in England, I was 17 and a bit, and I'd worked since I was 12 or 13. And I went to see various plays at Stratford, which was near where the family house was in Old Oldton. And uh, it was a period where there were some giants of the theatre, all at the same time working with Olivier, Schofield, Gilgood, Peggy Ashcroft. I mean, the list goes on and on of the most wonderful, wonderful actors. And I thought, well, I had never seen this. I mean, I'd only been in shows. I hadn't seen the theatre in England. I left when I was tiny. And I just thought, this is a world I want to be in. So I, with some difficulty, ended up um, working here.
2: Fabulous, fabulous. And um, we'll speed things on a little bit now um, into talking about Obviously, you did theatre, and you, you, you fairly early on you were you started doing um, television, didn't you? Because you were in some of those, you know, ITV and the BBC at that time were doing those sort of one-off plays, weren't they, on a regular basis? You had the Wednesday Play, and ITV did a similar kind of thing, and um, you appeared in some of those in the in the mid mid nineteen sixties. I
1: arrived you? in sixty five. So by the time, I think I was, yes, it was, so by the 1970s, 80s, I'd had a couple of years, I couldn't get a job at all, and then I got jobs, so there were things that, you know, love stories and various, you know, usually playing Eastern people, because I had a slight Indian accent, and I think I used my hands a lot, gesticulating, and somehow or other, they thought, because I'd grown up in India, that I would be best playing, uh, uh, somebody who wasn't very English. So I had a lot of parts like that. And then I was... Um, actually, Sarah Mills turned a job down, and my agent sent me for an a, a extraordinarily lucky break, which was, the, I think, the Wednesday play, which was a two-hander with Sir John Gilgut. And he said, the producer, I will give you the part if you go blonde and lose two stone. So the blonde was easy... And I only lost one because I had too many apple pies. And and that gave me a huge um, lucky, if you like, start. And then I started getting more work.
2: Well, I mean, to work alongside Sir John Gielgud at that particular point, I mean, that must have been amazing. It was
1: amazing. And as I said, it was because um, Sarah, Sarah Miles had turned it down. And I was with the same agent and the director had seen me in Shakespeare, a film I'd made in India, and he thought I was quite right for this part. And when you're very, you know, new to the business, you—it all sort of, I mean, I realized who Sir John Gielgud was, but he was so incredibly kind and courteous and funny and easy and generous. It was only much later I realized what a... What an amazingly lucky time I'd had to, to, to rehearse a play with him and be on television. It was extraordinary. He was absolute, absolutely funny, funny, lovely man.
2: Can you remember what it was? Can you remember what the play was? The Mayfly was?
1: and the Frog. I'm not sure whether I was the Mayfly or the Frog.
2: <laughs> and God, just to give us a brief summary about what it, what was, it was about.
1: If I remember rightly, it was about this multimillionaire who was very, very lonely and lived alone. And he, he had a butler, but he would only hear the voice of the butler. It was a bit, sort of strange play. So he would ask for something and the butler would silently produce it or do it. So he lived in isolation. And I think his Rolls Royce, or he, or I can't remember, nearly ran over a young girl on a motorbike. Um, me. And uh, he took her back to his mansion and they had this evening and this kind of very sweet relationship where they both were very lonely people. She was much, much, much younger and he was this isolated. I cannot remember what the end of it was, but it was just sitting, talking and, and, and about our lives together. Um, and then she goes off on a motorbike.
2: Fabulous, fabulous. Well, they've been showing, actually, some of, the, um, some of the plays from... Actually, they've been showing Play for the Day, not the Wednesday play, on uh, BBC4. So maybe at some point they might... I mean, do you think, does it still exist? Because a lot of stuff was wiped, wasn't it, back, back in those days? I think days. it
1: sort of perished. It depends where they stored the stuff. It was all on... I mean, we're talking black and white, you know. We're not quite talking the 18th century, but we are talking, I think, you know, late 60s.
2: What uh, did you actually go over them a lot of the time as well? Because that was the that was the thing in those days that they didn't didn't necessarily always record keep everything. So a lot of the early comedies from the sixties have gone. I mean, like I think I was talking to the guys who wrote the the Likely um, Lads, and apparently a lot of that a lot of those don't exist anymore. Um, but in the um, in the nineteen seventies there was a a lot of these um, costume dramas that emerged. I remember the nineteen seventies being full of. Costume dramas, although all the all the time, and I certainly probably learnt a lot about the 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 turn of the twentieth century very much through those dramas. Nothing at school, but mainly through those dramas on television. And one of the ones I do remember very much so was in the mid seventies as a little boy watching Edward the Seventh, and you were in that. Yes, I played
1: Vicky, and and I I really really enjoyed it. Um, indeed I did. Um, it, was, it, was, it was a great thing to do because it was many, many. It was one of their sort of flagship things, you know, that they did. And I did Hardy at the Woodlanders. And I was, there was a period where we were endlessly in corsets and basically the same wig. In those days, a great one for um, really researching real-life um, dramas and I researched the life of Vicky and her mother, um, Victoria, and found that she actually died of cancer, which it was there in the, um, in, in the series, and a lot of very heartbreaking scenes and letters going back and forth. And I they had her dying of throat cancer, and I couldn't find in any historical archive that she had throat cancer. She actually had bowel cancer. But the... <laughs> this is a very interesting thing when it comes to dating things in those days that would not have been as romantic whereas now it would be really rather important to be accurate on the other hand we, we we're still doing the same kind of dramas and rewriting people's lives so you know that's that's showbiz
2: yeah interesting period of time of course edward the 7th period and sort of edwardian uh period, and uh, they're just at the moment um, re-showing upstairs, downstairs, the whole lot on talking pictures, uh, which I've, I saw some of those back in the day, but not all of them, so I'm really looking forward to and that's a really favourite period of mine, that sort of, uh, you know, uh, sort of na- the 1910s up to the 19, uh, you know, sorry, between 1900 and 1910, Edward the 7th period, it's fantastic, and of course that um, uh, drama had some fabulous names in it, didn't it? You got you got both Timothy West and Robert Hardy. Um yes. Crosby, Helen Ryan. I mean, what were they like to work with? Uh, well, I knew
1: quite a few of them. Uh it it was I think it still is a reasonably small group of people that that all work together. Um, and certainly the BBC had what they called a stable of people that they used again and again. Um and and so you you did very often, you know, Pick up the, the cast, you know, list and think. Oh, I know three of these people. I worked with them last year, um, and I, I, I knew Robert from years ago, and, um, and Tim, and and it it it, 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 I think it's not quite the same now, and I don't think it really matters. It just isn't. Um, it was more like a repertory company kind of situation in those days.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Of course Edward the um 7th was of course um uh, Lou Grade's baby. It was an ATV thing rather than obviously around the BBC and of course he 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 he, <laughs> he invested in quite a lot though, didn't he? He was he was into these big blockbuster dramas and things that he could sell all around the world. I mean that was you know he was he was really he was he was he was uh, fabulous for that kind of thing, wasn't he? He he you know Elstree was a hotbed of uh of um production elstree,
1: really there were two sort of elstree and for uh, the television a bbc center which was you know doing one lot of thing and then the elstree was was extraordinary and 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 he of course in you know in those days he he had a kind of a controlled audience because you you didn't have so many channels and people couldn't record it and watch it later. So he had this captive audience. That if you really needed to know what happened the next episode, you had to go and put it on then. And so he made every, you, you know, he 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 created this wonderful, um, you know, cliffhanger thing at the end of every episode. It, you would ha- you would really be desperate to watch the next one.
2: And in a moment, we'll be talking to Felicity Kendall all about the good life.
0: Distinct Nostalgia is produced by MIM. And if you like what we do, then please consider supporting us on Patreon. Every penny helps us to make even more amazing content just for you. Go to distinctnostalgia.com and click on the donate button. Thank you. Only on
3: Distinct Nostalgia.
0: When I ran out of children's books, I used to
3: read from women's home. Who knew a four-year-old would be gripped by an article on cross-stitch? We're uniting the ages with Generation Games, a series of comedy and drama monologues and duologues, coming exclusively to distinct nostalgia. Stories exploring connections, friendships, and relationships between people across different age groups, beginning with Missing You, starring June Brown and Sam Barnard. Mum thinks I need protecting, but I don't need protecting from love.
1: Pity that social worker of his can't do something useful for a change. Contact the noise abatement lot. Put in a complaint.
3: I like her, I said. And then. Silence. What's the problem? I asked. They'll take advantage of you, Mum warned. Missing You. By Richard Virgett. With the legendary June Brown only on Distinct Nostalgia.
2: More than a podcast. Distinct Nostalgia includes some special interviews remembering nearly 50 years of Emmerdale. I've been speaking to Ian Sharrock, who played the original Emmerdale heartthrob, Jackie Merrick. I can remember walking down a street in Harrogate and somebody across the road shouted out,
3: Hey, Jackie! And it was the first time anyone had ever said that. Didn't look around at first because I didn't sort of respond to it. And then eventually I realised what was going on
1: and I'm
2: thinking, Oh! I'm famous! (laughs) We're right back to the beginning in 1972 with Freddie Pine, who played Matt.
3: Donald Bavistock said to Kevin, I wanted to write a series about a farm. And he said, well, I don't know anything about a farm. So they said to him, we'll come up to Yorkshire and live for two or three weeks and find out. It did come off the shelf and it did start. And Peggy said, my name, Matt was the first word of the series. Because she said, Matt, do you know all those new people over at Pickersgills or something? That was Arthur Pentelow and his daughter, Mr Wilkes. Because the daughter came riding over on a horse and she said, do you know those people? So I've always been quite proud that Matt was the very first word of the whole bloody series. (laughs) Still going 50 years later or something.
2: And you can't have Matt without Dolly. Jean Rogers has been reminiscing about her time in the Dales as well.
3: It was lovely, it was toke. And he said to me after I'd been in the show about four or five weeks, he said, just to let you know, he said, Sheila approves of you. <laughs> and I said, oh, really? Because I didn't know, oh, yes, he said, she was watching you. But but Sheila was always very professional. We felt as though we were mother and daughter in a way.
2: We've some 90s fun with Dina Payne, who played Viv Windsor for 18 years.
3: I'll only wear trousers if I'm going to Scarborough for the day. But when I'm working in the post office... Or, when I'm working in the cafe, nice short skirts, padded shoulders, jackets, big earrings, you know, the lot.
2: So you you had some real input then into her character.
3: Like I said, I wasn't really given any kind of uh, direction for the character. So I just thought, well, OK, don't give me any, I'll make it up.
2: (laughs) And there's plenty more still to come, including Alison Spiro, who was Sarah Sugden, and Roberta Carr, who played Jan Glover. Trawl through our feed now to find hours of soap history. Remembering Emmerdale on Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast.
3: This year has claimed the lives of far too many people to coronavirus. One of the many we lost was the great comedian Eddie Large. One half of that fabulous double act, Little and Large. And he's asked, you know, when did you meet and all that? and he'd have the stock answers, you know, oh, we met by accident, you know, I ran him over on a zebra crossing, you know, things like that. In a special interview, Sid Little remembers his long-time comedy partner and their years together making people laugh. he would be stood there and Eddie would go like, uh, you know, look at him. If he turned sideways and stuck his tongue out, he'd look like a zip. If he had four more navels, he'd look like a flute. You know, <laughs> you know. when he wears his blue suit, he looks like a refill for a viral. Because you know, I was thin, I was really skinny, and Eddie was on the stocky side. And that's when the comedy started coming in. That's Little Remembers Large, only on Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast.
0: Search for Distinct Nostalgia wherever you get your podcasts. Or go to distinctnostalgia.com.
2: You were very busy in the 60s and 70s when you came into uh, I- into the UK. Um, and then from 1975, of course, um, things changed even more because you got uh, a part in this sitcom that became, you know, um, very, very popular. Take us into that. How did you... First of all, how did you get to know about The Good Life? And um, can you remember getting the part and being told um, what it was all about? I,
1: I remember it very, very clearly, probably because I've... I've Mentioned it a few times because it's you know, and and also because I, I, I it it was quite an unusual way of getting apart. I was in a play with Penny Keith, an Alan Ayckbourn play in the West End, and which was was really a, a a great job and a very successful The Norman Conquest. And the director was casting, the Good Life, um, and and Dicky Richard. Came to see the show because he'd also, you know, he was a great um actor, and uh, he came round to my dressing room afterwards and said, "Look, I've got this little um, series that I'm probably going to do for the BBC. It's very unusual. It probably won't run, um, and it is quite quirky. Would you consider reading the script?" And I thought, I thought I'd dropped, I would died and gone to heaven. Um, he was hugely. Um, Well known for his series and for his acting, you know, at that point. And and to actually get a job without being interviewed or anything was was just wonderful. And I read it, of course, there was no question of me not. Um, not doing it, and he said, "Well, just one thing. I have to get the producer, the, the, the John Davis, to come, director, producer, to come and just see you in the show, and then we'll, we've got liftoff." And um, he came. The uh, John John came to the show, and he thought, "Oh, Penny, Keith, Penny, Penny, who was in the show with me, would be absolutely perfect as the." as as as, as Margot. And so it, it just happened. We were working together in a play and then we went from there into the good life. I knew Paul Eddington. I'd worked with him on a couple of things. And it just was one of those things that just clicked. The recipe was perfect. Um, it was also, the writing was really, really good. And they wrote then for the way that we were Going with the characters, and and they created these characters, and then they they ran with them, the writers, and um, it just was a a, a very very uh, happy and and I think really quite good period of work.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Was it? Um, I I was born in seventy two, so seventeen seventy five. I was very young at that particular point. I do remember it you know being on tv but i didn't really probably didn't really understand what it was all about but did it did it reflect um people at the time were there people who were having those kind of dilemmas and about the world we were creating i mean is that where they drew the inspiration from?
1: I think it was just the beginning. I mean, the seeds were being planted that obviously writers reflect what's going on around them. They don't invent it always. They, they sometimes instinctively know, pick up something. I mean, there was a, the, to be a vegetarian was weird. There was a restaurant called Crank's, and the name says it all, where it was all vegetarian, homegrown, not, not wrapped in plastic, um, everything was from a farm and it was very the good life kind of uh, thing um and that was called cranks because that was cranky and i think it was it was not it was the way people were going and then they just you know we 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 hooked, we hooked into what was happening so i think it did push it forward a bit because of the awareness but I, I think it was it was going to happen and they just very cleverly put their finger on 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 the next realization that maybe plastic wrapped chicken and 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 you know having having it all is not it's necessarily the only way to live um and they did it brilliantly I think with with humor and incredible love so you've got these two two couples who believe in completely different things and for whatever reason adore each other.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Of course, you've got the contrast with the neighbours, of course. And and there was this... I do remember the 1970s being a period of time, late 70s being a period of time when everybody was starting to want to keep up with the Joneses, wanting to... uh, you know, better themselves and all that kind of thing. And that comes out in Mike Lee's Abigail's Party, doesn't it? You know, she's trying to impress the neighbours and all the rest of it. And you've got that, yes. you've got that contrast, haven't you, with the with the couple next door, basically. I
1: think so. And it was, you know, it was Tupperware. It was amazing. Plastic cling film. I don't know whether it came out then. But, I mean, I, I, I didn't realise, you know, the wonder of the supermarket because it never occurred to me to go to a supermarket. I was in India. Um... Um, and I think I, I think it was it was, on the one hand, a lot of people were rejoicing in the modern era of everything te- technical and and as, as I said, plastic and 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 new and you know machines to do every blinking thing, so that you didn't have to do any of the drudging. But you know, England had been through two two wars, and so anything that Sort of took away the ghastliness of everyone dying, and 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 there's no, there are no luxuries. Was something I think quite natural to go towards, and then now we're hopefully realizing there is a balance.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Just going back to the seventies, I do remember you mentioned Tupperware. I remember Tupperware parties all the time. I, like my mum was always having Tupperware parties, and her friends were always having. Everyone went to Tupperware parties, and you look back on it now, and you think. That was bizarre. Why why was Tupperware such a big thing, you know? I, I
1: don't know. A, a dishwashing dishwasher was a big thing, you know. Um it it, it we sort of advanced quite a lot in the last suddenly, you know, from after the war to then and and I think it was it was a, the beginning of, you know, a a very important time when women were getting independent and I'm not sure when we got the pill, but it was roundabout um then that there was a huge movement if you like of freedom um unfortunately some of that um, we found now is not necessarily good for the planet but but it was like magical clean and you know take away meals in whatever or parceled up in something and that instead of having to peel your own potatoes was like a gift to a lot of a lot of people.
2: And actually, the other thing I remember—sorry, the other thing I remember was uh, tees mates. That was a big thing in the nineteen seventies. Having a tees I do remember. My that.
1: <laughs> my auntie used to have a tees and and that was it. And it would wake wake her up in the morning, and the whole sort of family rejoiced in it because. She'd been, you know, very, very young through the war, but, you know, getting up at the crack of dawn to, to light the fire where the house was freezing cold, putting on a kettle and waiting, you know, in a cold kitchen, um, and no central heating and things like that. Now we think central heating and an electric kettle is um, essential stuff. And I think then you get the good life. And people are saying, no, let's, let's get a goat.
2: indeed 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 yeah you had fun you had lots of fun with that goat oh
1: i i like the goat i had a i really like the goat i i I, gerald we named a geraldine and i think um and i remember getting letters because at one point i had to milk geraldine um, I don't think I necessarily, I'm not quite sure whether I necessarily, I mean, I can milk a goat, but I'm, I don't know whether, I think actually maybe I had to, I can't remember, but it was the scene when we did. And there were letters saying, this is clearly not a goat, it's a billy goat, and why is the BBC being so irresponsible? And, um, you know, as if we couldn't find a proper female goat. And people had their opinions about things way before <laughs> Twitter.
2: Yes, it came in the post absolutely. It just wasn't as it wasn't as swift and as direct I suppose as as, as Twitter is today. Um but when it started, was it it wasn't it was it was always on BBC2, is that right? Well,
1: it was always BBC, I'm not quite sure which one it was on. It may not have been. I mean, they did not think it would it would be that successful. It was really because Dickie was one of the stars. And this is what he wanted to do. And the writers were already very, you know, well known. And so they were trying it out. Um, so it may well have shifted uh, because it was, you know, just something to try out. And it then became a sort of prime time, primetime series. So I'm not actually sure because I, I never went home and watched it. I actually just did it.
2: Right. Okay. Okay. So, talk talk to us a bit about. Um, you were talking about the you you automatically had some chemistry at the beginning, which was great, and that obviously carried on throughout the series. You you can tell that. I mean, it's 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 so well so well done. But um, you must have had some real fun. I mean, some of those stories were were absolutely brilliant, and and. Um, you know that the, the pomposity of Margot is what always used to get me most. She was absolutely, absolutely brilliant, and uh, that contrast. Tell us a little bit about some of the some of the things you remember. Um,
1: I did, you know, it, it's it's one of those things. What was your favourite part? Storylines are not they're not something much you 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 remember in detail um, because there was a different one every week. Um, but I think there were, there are several that were were just very very funny to do um and they invariably involve mud and and somebody sinking into mud or somebody falling over which is very slapstick or margot getting you know getting her gloves dirty um i i, I think there th- there is really too too many to have one particular um uh, one to pull out and say that that was exceptionally fun it every to be honest, every week was fun, and the the two boys, as we call them, used to get on like a house on fire, and we used to um have a in rotation we would go to each other 's house in the weekend when we were not working um and somebody would cook um some and Penny was always um completely unlike Margot, her own jam her own p- herbs her own vegetables the most fabulous cook and housekeeper and i was a complete wreck at any of it um and the boys were very keen on wine and it it wasn't really it, it was it, but we still had the same kind of chemistry when we were together socializing as we did on set and that really only changed uh, when when um, paul died because somehow it was the four, and it was like three musketeers, if you've only got two, it's not going to work um in the same way it was just too sad and um I just remember I just remember the joy of working and the way we completely without any design we we worked in the same way. We didn't, you know, nobody took themselves seriously. We didn't have to go and get into character. We turned up. Penny always knew the lines first, and I knew them last. And it seemed to work perfectly well because that's the way we did it. And it was just a very supportive team. But it was it was also, you know, I think it was, to be honest, I think that it was the combination of Paul and Dickie, it would be hard to, if you had those two on a job. It would be very hard to get it wrong.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, your character, Barbara Good, she she was slightly conflicted, wasn't she? Because she she wanted to be like um, like Tom, but there was very occasionally she'd feel a little bit sort of that she was missing some of those some of those luxuries and things, wouldn't she?
1: i mean they they did write in a sense one has to remember these aren't real people; they sort of slightly exaggerated characteristics of one type or another without you know so that 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 you get the whole person in twenty minutes. but I think they were also you know very realistic about about people and the fact that they they wrote very rounded women in that Margot, you know, who was bossy and always right, had this wonderfully generous, um, heartbreakingly soft side to her and was, underneath it all, incredibly vulnerable. And so they wrote that into the character, and I think that was the writing, and the same with Barbara. They wrote, you know, this woman who was completely in love and did everything that her husband wanted, but underneath she had her own little... Doubts and attitude. I think one of the reasons is that it's actually quite real. Those characters. I mean, it is a comedy series. It's not a a historical documentary trying to recreate reality. But it, it, it. I think they're very cleverly written characters. So they've all got more than one side and attitude.
2: No, absolutely. They're they're very. um, You know, there's lots of dimensions to them, and and there's a, a great deal of depth. And for me the best comedies are always those that give you some depth because you then you then end up caring about the characters because you realize they've got they've got heart and they've got feelings and i think you have to believe in it a little bit you have to think actually okay these people are exaggerated but actually there are elements of of of, of reality w- within them so i think um i think it was uh, it it was done um uh, superbly now it lasted of course i think it was about 3 years wasn't it it lasted from um, sort of 75 to 1978 when did you realize that it was um was it was a hit i mean was it when you started getting recognized on the street or what was the situation when did you when did you all realize that this was was doing really well it
1: took off quite quickly i mean by the we did it second by the middle of the second series it was it was the ratings and um it was recognized and people just recognized you in the street um, and. And as I said, Dickie was already hugely successful and established. Um, And they, you know, the the, the British public just said that this is what we want to watch at at this point. Um, So, yeah, I think it was after the, as soon as it came back into the second series, it was pretty clear. And then it just sort of went on um, from strength to strength. And then we decided, I think, quite rightly, between us all, that it, 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 it was quite a precious job, I think, to all of us. And we all also were doing other things. But I think we didn't want it to become something that just went on and on, trying to think of another way of doing the same thing. And I think it was, you know, with the agreement of the director and all the actors, and we thought, now, maybe we, that we'll, that's, that's where we stop. And I think and we, we did, did a Christmas, Christmas, Christmas special or something after it. Um, and then, you know, after that, I think there were times when we all thought we would get back together. But to get all four of us back was hard. And I, I, I think we just were all pleased with what it had been, um, which was quite, you know, considerable.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, of course, um, 19, late 1970s um, was, you know, uh, 1977, I remember very well. Uh, because it was the Jubilee year, and I got a little a little bus for the Jubilee. <laughs> and I also won the Easter Bonnet Parade, it was about four or five at the time. So I remember the Jubilee um, big time, and of course, um, as part of the Jubilee, I think the BBC um, offered the Queen or, or something to come and watch an episode uh, being filmed or something, and you ended up having a Royal Command performance of the, one of the episodes, didn't you? the very last episode, I think. Uh, I think rightly. Can you can remember? Yes, it was it
1: was it was it was part of the sort of stardust really of the series, and then that was they sprinkled on you know, um, Her Her Majesty the Queen on top of it. It was like it was surreal um, because we we had not expected anything like that at all. Um, I think I'm not sure whether it was who decided to do it or why it happened. Um, I think it was celebrating the BBC. And and we were chosen, and it was it was surreal, um, and and you know it went off without a hitch, and it it was um, it was very very special. I mean, a different audience because normally you have you know people queuing for hours outside, so we didn't. We had Her Majesty in in evening dress, as it were, and looking amazing, and it was a very strange. Um, as I said, surreal experience to film a, a series when you usually had people in anoraks, and you had, you know, sort of glittering beauties. Um, that sort of, you know, one thought, my goodness, I can't try, and I certainly can't um, make a mistake and sort of joke about it. So there was a bit of pressure, but it, it went really, really well, and um, I was, it was, it was, it was very special.
2: What would Barbara have made of that do you think <laughs>
1: I, I, I think you know the the I think she would have just i i you know I really don't know i i i I can't any longer put myself into Barbara's shoes funnily enough, um which I probably could have those in those days I think she would have thought this is really wonderful spreading the word you know
2: absolutely and of course the royal family have a connection with the uh, the land and 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 food and doing things the old-fashioned way—they're into all that, aren't they? In in, in many ways, anyway. It's not so. about
1: the, the 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 easy fix of, of of something now that won't last. It is actually based on sustainability in all sorts of ways.
2: Absolutely, of course. Uh, Penelope's character would have uh, loved uh, performing in front of uh, the queen. Oh, absolutely,
1: team. absolutely. I think yes, she could probably have fainted, <laughs> yeah.
2: She, she probably thought she was the queen at times. <laughs> so, just tell us a little bit about the, those those people that you you, um, you acted with. Obviously, sadly, Richard and um, Paul are, are no longer with us. And I think you know they're fantastic actors. Um, both of them gone too soon. Um, and uh, tell us a little bit, just a little bit, an insight into the, the their their quirks in terms of you know their their talent and their acting and you know what they were. What they were like as 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 individuals? I think
1: they were well. I, I know they were basically very. Um, I would say, really, actors. You know, from their toes to the top of their head, they loved the world. They they took it seriously. It was it was a job, but they didn't think. Neither of them had any kind of conceit about being starry. Um, they had uh, absolutely their feet on the ground, and they both came from theater training and in fact that was something about all of us we'd all started in the theater not not wanting to be you know a, a star but wanting to be in a play and Both of them came to the job with with the, as it was a job, but they Both enjoyed life tremendously, had an incredible sense of humor, and they took the piss out of everything they possibly could, Um, which, given that they were incredibly successful um, and leading guys at that time, uh, it was was beautiful. But, you know, what I remember most is their sense of humor. And... uh, having this which i think really good actors you know do a lot they have this balance between taking their work seriously so that they're not just playing at it it is a job if you get paid um, but not taking it too seriously and not thinking that this is you know it it is what it is and it's vitally important that we have entertainment and art but it's not me personally that is 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 gifting you something remarkable it's i'm part of the I'm part of the gang i'm part of the 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 company and i think they both had that and they certainly went on um you know to prove that in many 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 jobs they've done they did from, from before and after um dicky has a cruel wicked sense of humor um, which was only cruel because it was so funny and, and on on the nose, but absolutely wonderful observation. And he did not suffer fools gladly if somebody was either taking themselves too seriously or just what he thought pissing about. Um, he really had a, a, a way of, of, of letting that be known, but with huge humor. Um, Paul was a almost a saintly man um, who was a bit like a Buddha. You know, everything um, that he touched just sort of calmed down. Um, I don't mean it, we weren't hysterically laughing and being really naughty, but it just, he had that that aura about him. A a really, really specially kind man um, and non-judgmental and... And they both
2: had this sense of humour. Yeah, no, I think they were—they're both superb. And um, yeah, it's really real sad that they're not around anymore. And um, of course, they all went. All of you went on to do. You know, it, it, <laughs> you were I, I, the people. Must have, I mean straight away, Paul? When I say straight away, very quickly after that, Paul went into uh, yes, minister, didn't he? And then, of course, um, you got uh, Penelope was. Uh, in the to to the manner born, which Margot was a great sort of um, sort of um, what's the word training ground for that character in a way because that was a sort of um ten times what Margot was in terms of being posh and all the rest of it um so she she got that and then of course of, of course uh, Richard went to do um all sorts of things, including uh, obviously ever decreasing circles and your next um big thing in terms of sitcom was that lovely um series in about 81 82 82 83 I think it was called Solo tell us a bit about that how did that come about
1: um i i don't i don't know really um some of the things you remember how they came about and the rest if you know you you just got the next job um i i think it was um it was i was just sent the script and i i i, I thought it was really great and um and I thought that's 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 exactly what I'd like to do um but I think it was again you know part of being in that um in that that sort of stable of young actresses that just it probably it was me or three others and and they sent it they sent it to me
2: now that was written of course by Carla Lane, who'd had success yeah. of course beforehand with uh, with butterflies and, of course, with the liver birds, and she was blazing a trail, really, in terms of putting uh, women at the centre of her sitcoms, wasn't she, long before anybody else was doing that. I can't
1: actually say as an actor who decided you'd get a part unless you absolutely know, Um, but I think probably she suggested me, because I'd played, you know, um, already, you know, Barbara is, though she's sweetness and light, is pretty feisty, and... Uh, quite modern in a sense that it's not children and it's not, you know, it's living a life she wants to live on her terms. Um, and I think maybe it was Carla Lane who, who, who uh, and and I, I, I then did a couple of things with her after that. And I, I, I she was amazing.
2: It, yeah no absolutely um we we've, we met Car- carla and uh, and all her animals <laughs> yeah, she was blazing a trail for for women really quite early on in a way, and as you say, your character in that it was all about that that character taking control wasn't it, which was something you didn't really see on t v around women at that time uh,
1: it, 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 you didn't see it a lot and uh and actually it was t- quite shocking to me how many people didn't like it. Um, because they said it was immoral, or it was, you know, it, it, you shouldn't have this, uh, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have a comedy series about about somebody who's being independent. And she went, then went on to write um, what the next one, the Mistress, which was an extension of Solo, and that really she got it in the neck. I mean, it was successful, but it, 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 there was a lot of that. This shouldn't be shown. It, it's extraordinary how things change.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. But what's interesting is often people, you will hear people say today, you know, that something's groundbreaking and, and um, you know, it's it's including women at the heart and all the rest of it. But, you know, you and Carla and, and, and the people in the, the, the actors in the Liverbirds and, and obviously Wendy in Butterflies, you were um you were doing all this years back I mean it, it was there but it maybe it just wasn't always so recognized in the I same think,
1: way um people underestimated Caroline. in one they didn't of course as a writer at all in any way but I think what she was she was a, a, a really strong feminist influence and she wrote as as some women thought not all women but as some women thought and obviously it was in this, in a comedy series that she wrote so it was always you know you know slightly hedged within that within that within that framework but she wrote these slightly fluffy women if you like who were also very determined and to be independent and i think it was it was very much her her belief that you I mean, she was very, very pretty, blonde, feminine woman. Woman who wore lovely silk clothes and lots of rings and had a menagerie of animals and was incredibly feminine, if you like. It was also, you know, a time when we were all becoming a little bit more independent, which was great. But, well, and and she, they said, well, no, you can't be a feminist if you were if you wear, um, you know, pretty things and you, you care about what you look like. So there was a sort of a lot of the, the, the which, which, which was part of the journey. You know, we've got, we've got a lot of people with different voices basically saying exactly the same thing. Um, we, we want to live the life we live and it isn't necessarily by a kitchen sink.
2: Okay, well, let's bring things way, way up to date into sort of the you know more recent times. And um, you've had a fantastic career. You've gone on and done lots and lots of things. And uh, and and you know one of the one of the uh, series you did in the two thousands, which I thought was really good, was uh, Rosemary and Time. Just very briefly, just tell us a little bit about how you how you felt about working with. Uh, That
1: that was one of the joys. I mean, I I have been lucky and every now and again, I have a real joy and working with Pam was one of them. And um, that again was an idea about, you know, two women who are, you know, bound together. Um, It was, again, not, you know, I, I thought it was, it was, it was really, really brilliant idea. Um, because it was a kind of Midsummer murder, but there are two, you know, there's a murder every, in 10 minutes, there's one body. Then there's got to be another body, I think before the halfway, and then some other thing has to happen before the end. So it's right, it was written like an absolute menu. This is what will happen. And Pam and I uh, just got on like a house on fire. And again, you know, the thing people say, you cast a type, in the good life, I was actually nothing like Barbara in any shape, manner, or form. Neither was um, Penny. And in, in Rosemary and Time, uh, Pam knew everything and anything about horticultural plants, flowers, diseases, ev- and I didn't couldn't pronounce one, you know, one Latin name of a narcissus, um, a daisy. So it, it, there was this wonderful combination of she would be prompting me about how I, I should, you know, describe this fungi. Um, and we were playing the opposite kind of, 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 of creatures. And then we really bonded as, as two women and, and had the most wonderful evenings when, when there wasn't lockdown. And goodness knows we enjoyed it.
2: Fabulous, that's great. Just one final thing. Um, obviously, you know our main focus has been on the good life. Um, yeah. And uh, when you look back at that time and that period, um, you know how important. Obviously, it was important, but I just want to get it in your own words. Really, how how fondly and how important was that period just to you, both professionally and personally? I mean, also out of that, you you got lots of attention, didn't you? In terms of you know, you were seen as one of the, you know, the good looking women of the of the day and all the rest of it, you know, was it, were there, you know, I'm sure overall it was a good thing, but what, but when you look back, you know, are there, are there sort of pluses and minuses of being in that kind of. Spotlight at that particular um,
1: time? I never found it a, a problem, but I, I had been brought up, you know, with a whole lot of actors since I was born. So I didn't take myself too seriously. Whatever opinion somebody had about me personally, I knew as a professional, a professionally biased opinion of what I was doing rather than about me as a person. Um, so, you know, if somebody. I had never thought I was attractive, sexy or anything like that, so it, 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 it was a surprise in a sense, Because, but it, I didn't mind it because if it came out of me acting to the, the character and that was what I was supposed to be acting, um, and then they thought she's attractive, I was act, playing somebody who was supposed to be attractive, so I got it right. Um, I, that period was one of the reasons The Good Life was so special to me was that actually it was not a, such a happy time personally. I, I had a, a little boy and I was going through divorce. And so one of the things that grounded me in, in a sense um, was the, the 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 four of us going back into making this sort of life-enhancing, positive series. And, I mean, I can't remember ever talking to any of them about what I was going through, but they absolutely knew it wasn't easy. And we were just going to rehearsal, and then for the whatever, six or eight hours together, and then the filming, um, you know, difficult life would be on hold. And I, I really think um, they helped me get through that in a way that was quite exceptional without ever mentioning it
2: that's lovely that's really nice it's really nice to have that isn't it to think back actually that that was a, a time that sort of helped you through that was your that was your therapy I suppose it'd be today Actors in a way I just
1: do find that it's it's so much what they want to do at the time and the moment rather than just do it to achieve something I mean the moment in acting is what you want and I think that that is what what we we are like And um, I think it was just, I was just very lucky that I wasn't in a more complex, complicated environment of work, which some jobs are. And I happened to be with those, you know, very special people. So it it, it, it isn't something I actually have thought about until recently, that it was just, it was just, um, it it was just a a very lucky thing for me um, to have that. And, and i it, it was just great
2: and what happened to those dungarees? what happened to those you know, clothes i really
1: that... i i i think they they went the way of all dungarees probably in the wardrobe
2: I was just going to say you haven't got a secret pair that you bring out of no, no no no
1: no no I, 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 dungarees have come back though haven't they yeah.
2: they have indeed they have indeed. Felicity it's been absolutely lovely to talk to you thank, thank you. you
1: so much it I have really in, enjoyed a trip down. Memory um, and it's been a joy to talk to you. Thank you, it's, especially in lockdown. It's lovely to meet somebody that you get on with.
3: Distinct Nostalgia is home to some fascinating conversations with the names behind some iconic films of the 20th century. And we've a special treasure trove of interviews and reunions around great British film. There's Brief Encounter. I was making my first film at the age of 19, And so was playing Beryl, the young girl serving the teas, in the refreshment room. I'm the last surviving member of this, and I suppose I'm getting rather elderly. Plus, brassed off. We didn't know that brass band music was going to be
2: that popular. It just became a real word-of-mouth people's film. It stayed in the top ten in London for nearly three or four months, I think.
0: And it, it, we eventually had to go up and ask them to stop showing it in Leeds because it was going to ruin the, uh, the video launch date. And Oliver... The phone went, and my mum shouted up, saying, ''Oh, you've got the part of Oliver?'' And I remember being, I was eight at the time, thinking, ''Great, I'm going to have, a, like, six months off school.'' And that's all I thought. I didn't think anything else of it. Distinct nostalgia. Celebrating great British movies...
3: Listen wherever you get your podcasts or browse our existing programmes at distinctnostalgia.com.
1: Distinct Nostalgia is brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. We've lots of activities for you to do at home at liferooms.org. Staying well, staying home.